Hello, I'm Gemma and welcome to another episode of Good Influence. This is the podcast where I welcome our guests to discuss their experiences, answer your questions and teach us something new. Before I continue, a heads up that we will be discussing cancer in this episode, so do take care if that's a difficult subject for you. You'll find some links to support resources in the show notes. This week, we're talking about life after trauma, separating yourself from your circumstances, creating boundaries with others, and trusting the process of recovery. So joining me this week is Lauren Mann. Lauren is a campaigner, podcaster, and broadcaster. She founded the platform Girl vs. Cancer after her own breast cancer diagnosis, and since her recovery, she's continued to raise funding and awareness for the cancer community, as well as lending her voice to other issues affecting women and mental health. I'll be completely honest now, I just felt like no one gave a shit about me unless it was cancer. Like, I just thought, I'm I'm cancer person, so unless I talk about cancer... No one's going to care. So for those who don't know you already, could you give us just a little bit of a backstory as to how Girl vs. Cancer came to be? Well, back when I was 31, 38 this year for context, um, I got a little bit of tit cancer. I found a lump in my breast by accident um, and turned out it was uh, in ductal situ carcinoma I can never remember the right name um but yeah I got breast cancer really young and I really couldn't find people young people talking about it and I really needed to see young people who were going through cancer and getting out the other side because you know it's that classic saying you can't be what you can't see Mm -hmm. and I was also really fed up of this perception of what cancer was it was only when I started going through it I was like oh my god like we've been scaremongered to hell so I decided to talk about my cancer experience um, on Instagram, which was a really natural thing for me to do. I've worked in social media for years. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've done influencer marketing for years and it all just kind of came together to to like make this the easiest way for me to communicate. So I just started using the hashtag girl vs cancer on Instagram to share the cancer part of my life. Um, found a whole community of people I didn't realise were there. Um, this is going back like six years ago, Gem. So it's not what it was now, you know, the Instagram community for yeah. cancer. Um, it was a lot smaller and quite new. Um, and then it needed, I wanted to share more stories, other people's, because my cancer experience isn't everyone's and I've never thought that it was. And I wanted to be able to like shine a light and let people share their experiences to better the experience of others. So I made my blog that I had then, which was like my fashion and lifestyle blog, then all became about cancer. Mm-hmm. Very sexy topic. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, I, I created the blog and... As and from that, like we created T-shirts and, and raised money for charities. Um, we've done loads of awareness campaigns, collaborated with big brands, and it's taken me to get to the point. It's now six years since my cancer diagnosis. Six years almost since Girl vs Cancer came to be. And last year we got charity status because finally I realised, yeah, it's amazing, right? Like you've been part of this journey from quite early on, like being involved in the shoots and stuff. And yeah. I think I just was. For so long, I didn't want to duplicate what other people were doing in the space. I just thought people are doing this well. What is the role girl versus cancer plays? And I'm so glad that I did it this way round and figured it out and then got the charity status because now I'm very clear on, on what I want it to be. So that's kind of where it came from. And then alongside, whilst I was working on girl versus cancer, 
I also um, was part of the podcast Yumi and the Big C mm-hmm. alongside Rachel Bland and Deborah James on Five Live. Um, so that's kind of probably where most people would know me from. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that was started really early coming out of my cancer active treatment we started recording in early 2018 and I'd finished my cancer treatment in late 2017 right so we've been recording that for five years um and that again is very similar to the girl versus cancer stuff in that you know we we just talk about cancer like it's extenders and try and normalize it mm-hmm. get rid of stigma so we can better support people get people diagnosed earlier um yeah and it's 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 done great things I'm very very proud of it so that's kind of me in a nutshell yeah I mean you should be incredibly proud of it. I think it's it's definitely. I mean, the amount of people you must have reached, even just with the with the podcast by that point, mm. um, is immense. It's such a such a massive platform, and I think it must have been something that was so needed because of the reaction that you've had. When you just sort of mentioned that the cancer community on social media, you've seen like a quite a big difference over the past sort of six years. What does that kind of look like, and do you think that is that kind of part of what's happened to social media in general in terms of we're maybe trending towards being a bit more open with the less sort of glamorous parts of life? Or do you think that has been its own its own difference within that community? I think it's a bit of both. So I think, you know, where what it did is it shone a light on where there was deficit in support for communities. And it's mm-hmm. not just cancer, it's every single kind of community you can think of. So for those going through cancer, like especially young people, like in social media is a natural place to go and find people like you, people that you follow the same interests as, you know, things you want to see. And now even on TikTok, there's a whole cancer talk situation happening. Um, And it's about talking about cancer in different ways that is more relatable to people like you. So I think in one respect, yes, it's been a part of the trend of cancer um being part of this more open dialogue on Instagram and you know it not having to be this carefully curated wonderful place like it was when I first started working in it for brands um but then also I do feel like it's that kind of you know a rolling is it a rolling stone gathers moss kind of thing so once you see Mm. people doing it and you see that there's support there it's also helped people to find their voice and then there's also a lot of people that are anonymously going through cancer that can be part of this community and watch it and find out more without having to be vocally out there yeah um I think it's done some amazing things and I'm so glad it exists and that we have that community but I do think there are some big downsides to it that worry me as well Mm. um you know when like Deb's Rachel and I started talking about our cancer experience online it was literally because we didn't know what else to do in terms of you know we wanted to change the dialogue for me personally where I was already like a blogger and I'll say like a very low-key blogger blogging now is such a different ball game I was one of those girls Gem at Somerset House walking down the cobbles like someone please take my picture with my edgy look (laughs) I was one of them like look book new and like taking pictures on my blackberry phone it was mad showing my age but you know um so for me it was like if I didn't it was either I hide away from the world and then people be like what's going on with Lauren yeah or I just owned it um we never ever all our goal was is that we wanted to help other people we wanted to support others who might find themselves in our position I think what's happened now and I still think it's a great place for support but what scares me is you know, my my Instagram account has always been mine and then I separated out the cancer stuff. Yeah. 
what's worries me now is there's a lot of people who get a cancer diagnosis and they go straight onto Instagram and create a handle with cancer in it. Mm -hmm. And automatically they are cancer person, they're cancer face. Now I think, you know, it's great and it's admirable. It means that you can instantly join a community. It means you can instantly get eyes on you to help other people. However, I don't think people think about the long-term impacts of that. And what I definitely found was in my recovery process over the last five years is that it's actually really damaging to yourself when you start posting about just normal life things and stuff and you find that you don't get the same engagement or the same response. And, you know, in a world where you're used to posting and just like sharing things, whether you mean for it to or not, it does become this form of validation. Mm. So it almost kind of, for me, what I've been seeing and what I felt personally, and it may not be the same for everybody, especially for those going through a stage four cancer diagnosis where it's still very much their lived reality. I could appreciate it's a very different thing. I do feel like what it can do almost is tether you to the trauma in that if you're not talking about cancer, people don't care. And it's kind mm. of this validation thing. So you actually see people kind of, you know, giving so much of themselves over and I sometimes worry, I'm like, oh God, like, what are you retaining for yourself? Are you finding balance? And that's been something I really struggled with and I've now learned what I need to do. So I'm just quite conscious of that in the cancer community at the minute. I, I kind of want to create a space for people to be able to come and share their stories without it being a, a defining thing. Yeah. So they can leave it behind and just get on with their life out of cancer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I really do know what you mean. I think, it, I mean, that sounds to me like, obviously that's, something that's come through your personal experience like that's something you've struggled with and you're kind of mm. you know want to make a space so that other people don't have to do that it's probably quite unusual you know most cancer patients don't end up with with it being such a big part of their kind of professional career as well as personal yeah. life has that been what's kind of really crystallized that sort of issue for you in terms of being really tethered to something obviously mm. traumatic that you've been through? Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, I never started talking about this thinking it would become my full-time job. In what yeah. world? We're like, yeah, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk about that thing that nearly killed me and I'll talk about it every day and I want to like be around people that I'm going to lose to the disease and all that. Like it was never the plan but I think when you find a purpose and a reason in life and and what's crazy about it is every single skill set that I know I am good at um came into power for this amazing cause so it's almost like I don't not like I didn't have a choice but I I was like what someone has got to do it right and we always yeah. say someone's got to do it why not you and if I'm good at it why would I step back if I'm making a difference why would I step back mm -hmm. but it is it is a very crazy thing to have your career tethered to a trauma. But then what I'm trying to do now is almost look at, okay, so what has made me get to this point in my career with the cancer stuff? And actually the skill sets are still the same. Yeah. And they're transferable skills. So now I'm just looking at how I can transfer those skills to things that really light me up in other ways mm -hmm. um, that I would probably feel a bit more frivolous and a bit more light and a bit more fun. So I've got like... The advocacy work over one side, but then I can still be Loza yeah. on the other that doesn't even think about cancer, that can just go off and live her life. Because I know what a privilege that is to be in that position. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, there there probably is a lot of the reason why 
I look and I think, oh God, about the separation of cancer self to to yourself, um, is probably because of the process I've had to go through. And yeah, it is it's an admirable thing, but it's also quite um heavy yeah. and it needs to be managed. I think people need to bear that in mind when they set off into this. Is it something you've been thinking about for a long time? Was it one of those things the way you suddenly one day thought, this is too merged, I need to separate it? Or did it kind of build for you? Because I feel like at the, at the closer to the beginning, it's, it's one of these, it's like the hindsight is twenty twenty thing, right? So like now mm. you can look back and think, oh, well, you know, I'm glad I kept that separate. But actually, I'm quite surprised by how tangled these things got is mm. it something that kind of crept up on you like how did you how did you manage to get that sort of perspective on it and realize that you maybe wanted or needed to move slightly further away from from cancer as a topic to be honest I've probably all I've known for years mm. actually because I think for me it really started when Rachel died in 2018 so we started the podcast in early 2018. So I think we're coming up to like almost a year to the day where we actually got into the studio. Mm. I think it was the 15th of Feb. And then we launched it on International Women's Day. So it's really soon that it's five years. And so Rachel had such a Im- massive impact on my life. But she died really early into the experience with the podcast. Like we started recording in Feb and she died in uh, September. And I think that was around the time where I was a bit like, this is a lot. Because at that time, all I was doing was going into um, my, like, back to my old job part-time. And then I was doing Girl vs Cancer on the side Mm -hmm. and trying to, like, build that up. So I was still earning money, but then also really putting my passions, the thing that really lights me up and helping other people and, you know, growing that community at the side. And it was when Rachel died, I think I, it was very triggering and I found it very difficult to manage. Obviously, having just come out of a cancer experience myself, or very early stage, I was still on meds and stuff and getting injections. It was Around then, I was like, this is too much. I need a space out. But I think what it is as well, like my men, I'm so early out of a recovery gem, like my mental state wasn't clear. I was mm. quite manic. My way of coping with emotional trauma has always been to do. And it's only from going through therapy over the last few years that I see that now. So bad things would happen in the community. There would be losses, something challenging would happen. And rather than stepping back and going slow and dealing with it, I would throw myself right 100 miles an hour, Mm -hmm. turn the speed up on that treadmill and just go, right, what's what's the next thing? It was like distraction, but it burnt me out. And it was almost like I was scared to stop it because it would just be a wave of everything that had happened. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So it's been years of me fighting against that. And then what happened in the end of 2021 was I have what I now know, um, and I'll be very open, I trust this space with you, but I now know to be a psychotic episode. I've had a proper breakdown, breakdown, mental breakdown. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so I just was not well at all. Like I wasn't sleeping, I was vibrating. I've always been someone who has had severe anxiety, depression, like swings my whole life, even before cancer. But there was just another layer to this. And it it was, it was manic. And it was, you know, there was nothing behind the eyes. A lot of my friends were really concerned about me. I'm sure if you followed me on social media, and you've seen my stories and stuff, like, during the pandemic time, and especially 2021, you probably looked at me talking, and I was just like, rah, rah, rah. there was nothing 
there. Mm. And it just peaked and it was always going to happen. And yeah, I just became incredibly unwell. And I'd had medication in my drawer for about four months because it was, I knew that I was doing everything right. I was exercising. I was, you know, eating right. I was making sure I had like sleep routines. I was doing all the things they tell you to do and stop drinking everything and nothing nothing made it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd gone to get these meds, but didn't want to take them because they're still, even though I am so pro-medication, I still carried this internal stigma. I can't, yeah. like, it's crazy, right? So common as well. Yeah, I just did. I just thought I can do this on my own because we're sold this idea of wellness and mental wellness that we can make ourselves well. And it is a consumer targeted bullshit thing. It really is. Mm. You can't. No, if you are mentally unwell, you cannot have it. You aren't, blah, 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 ain't going to fix you. Yoga's not going to fix you. Even to some extent, therapy isn't going to fix you. I've been having therapy my whole life. Didn't stop it. So yeah. it was that moment of crashing and being on the phone to my mum and my mum just being like, whoa, like having a full on breakdown. And she's like, you need to get that medicine out of your jaw. I want you to take it and I want you to come home. And that is what happened. And that has been the big change, I'll be honest, in me separating out because it's given me space in my mind to actually see things for what they are and not live in a space of trauma and make decisions off the back of trauma. So it was the start of last year. I went away to Mexico with my friends and I really took it as some time out to like, right, readdress what's going on. And it was just things like my my living... um, situation and just I kind of realized I probably did want to live alone and I needed space when I'm doing all this work to breathe Mm -hmm. I didn't realize I needed that because I'm an extrovert but apparently when you're an extrovert you need alone time because you need to recharge um I knew that in terms of work I'd been talking about raising funds for girl vs cancer to make sure I can get a team so I'm not in the mix of it all the time um I I talked about the podcast with Deborah and the team all of 2021 saying I don't feel like I'm relevant anymore it it's a lot to keep doing this every week talking about my experience should I hand my chair over to someone else every other week and those discussions were already happening so when I came back um to England after Mexico it was this big last year for me was a massive transformational year in the best and worst ways yeah so like you know I was in a much calmer place I did take my foot off the gas I stopped doing and I just focused on what was around me. I've, I moved in on my own. I was very fortunate to be able to do that because I'm renting from a friend and anyone who rents in London knows it is a nightmare. Mm. So luckily I have a, a home. I managed uh, because I have my new home and I've got a little garden. I've got my dog. So that's been a grounding experience. Raymond. Little Raymond. <laughs> um, that's been a really grounded experience. And then... Obviously, you know, people would have heard about the death of Dame Deborah James. It was all over the news in the summer of last year. Obviously, Deb was one of my closest friends and colleagues. And when Deb died, that was the moment where I went, I'm done. Yeah. So I just thought I'm not, it really did feel like a chapter closing because Deb, that podcast has been the soundtrack to my cancer recovery for the last five years. And what I realized this year is, I no longer feel like someone recovering from cancer. I actually feel like Lauren. And the more I'm doing in that space, the more I'm staying in that zone and I've moved past it. And what a privilege to have done, be able to do that. I mean, yeah, absolutely. 
So yeah, it was. I know that was a question, and it was a long-winded answer, but no, no, it no, is great. a it's a process. Do you know what I mean, babe? It's not like um, oh, something just clicks. It's been a really long time, and I do feel like coming into this year, I'm a lot clearer on okay. So the cancer stuff needs to be over here, and Lauren is over here, and I'm actually really excited to kind of go back to 31 year old Lars and be like, right. What do I want to do? Yeah. What do I want to try out? Like, I've got this skill set, I've got this platform, and, and and I've got all these, like, I'm a 38-year-old woman now. Like, what do I want to do? Um, so I'm just kind of enjoying figuring that out, really, outside of cancer. And, you know, I'll always be an advocate for cancer. It's always going to be something that I do in my life. It's it's my purpose, but that doesn't mean it has to be all that I do and all that I am. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's that exciting. Kind of, yeah really exciting I'm happy for you I think it, it's thanks babes as you say such like there are so many people who don't get the chance to move past a diagnosis like that but for people who do it's kind of it's like at the beginning where you started the platform because you couldn't couldn't see people like you it's kind of yeah then having to figure out how you do actually move forward from it I mean we kind of I was going to ask you how you try and balance that as somebody who does still do a lot of advocacy work and the charity work that you do. You mentioned very briefly, just while we were setting up this call Mm -hmm. about the kind of like boundaries that you're trying to keep in work in order to make that happen. Could you tell us a bit about that? I think for me now, it's like the cancer advocacy work has to be about bettering the experience for others and not my personal trauma. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I've, been like I've done a thousand podcasts and I've done a thousand interviews and people always ask the same questions about the cancer experience what did it feel like what was that moment could you take us through the process and I'm like you're wasting me because I've got so much more to give to you that story has been told a thousand times Mm -hmm. and all it does is bring me back to that moment so it's been able to say with confidence when I'm coming onto things like this or interviews like we don't need to go through the whole process of me being diagnosed with cancer it's been spoken about already And actually go, okay, maybe people will benefit more from the learnings of the far past five years and advice on, you know, dealing with cancer or advice on how to help a friend with cancer or like mindset stuff. It's me being able to be really clear in myself and go, okay, what does cancer look like for me? And what am I not doing anymore? And you know, that's why like I love I'm so happy I'm on this podcast. I love your pod anyway, Jen. But like oh, been able to to come on here and I did another podcast recently where someone was like I've never heard you talk about things like that I'm like because you're letting me just talk like Lauren you're not asking me constant cancer questions yeah. I think it's it's a thing that I have to really boundary myself with because I'm a very much a yes girl and all I want to do is help others but I think I've been really good I've got a new management team as you know oh, um yeah, moved, we're on, yeah we're gleam twins we're now. roster buddies <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they've been incredible in, in terms of like kind of ring fencing me and going, okay, this is the work Lauren will do in terms of cancer. This is the work that she's not going to do in terms of cancer. And, you know, when people are coming in to talk to me about different things, they're amazing at saying, well, yeah, you know, Lauren's had cancer, but have you thought about asking her about this and about this? Because she's got a lot of things that Lauren can lend her voice to. Yeah. And that's really nice because I'm starting to see that shift now. Um, so it feels like even as I'm talking to you, like I'm smiling because it feels light. I can feel my chest is like warm and my heart's happy because, you know, I'm always going to be there for the cancer stuff. But now it's like, like having the bound, putting the boundaries in place has given space to so much more, um, that I can do to support other people. And just like, I just want to create 
in life and just put things out in the world and connect and yeah it just gives so much more space for that it's lovely but it has to be boundaries and they're not easy to set it's it's having a really good support group around you that allow that and I think actually having the confidence to find your voice to boundary as well be really clear and don't sway from it yeah that's what was going to be my next question actually hearing you talk about that is kind of how do you because that must have been quite a big change professionally obviously in changing a little bit of of what you were talking about like how did you kind of like find the the confidence I guess to like implement those boundaries and sort of because that that must have been quite challenging I imagine the first time you had to be like do you know what I kind of don't want to go through that whole story anymore Mm -hmm. like how did you manage to get to that place because I think the whole like the moving on after kind of a traumatic experience is obviously such a personal thing but the element of it where it is other people kind of trying to take you back to it even when you're trying to move on from it like putting Mm. obviously the boundaries must be so important but did you did you always feel quite sort of confident in saying like no I don't want to talk about that or was that something you had to build up to no because let's I'll be completely honest now I just felt like no one gave a shit about me unless it was cancer Mm. like I just thought I'm I'm cancer person so unless I talk about cancer no one's going to care. And then I had to do a lot of healing and go, well, if they don't care about you about cancer, so what? Like, mm. you've got a life to live. You can't just keep, you know, wheeling yourself out with this open wound all the time. It will never heal. Um, and it I was, Deb dying was the thing that made me go enough. Like, you know, losing, imagine, you know, not going through the cancer experience and that whole experience and losing someone as important to you like Deborah in the public eye, all these different things. That is hard enough to do on its own without the whole five-year back background yeah. to it. Um, I think Deb's death, she used to always say to me, like, I don't know how you do it. If I was cancer-free, I'd run for the hills. I wouldn't talk about it again. Mm. And I was like, no, I get that. But I just feel like there's a way that I do it that is making a difference. So I want to continue that. Yeah. But it, I never had the balance. And when Deb died, I think it was this permission it, it was this moment, you know, Deb said it on the podcast. She said, I feel like Lauren's moving forward now and I'm really happy for her. Like, I, like I'm proud of her that she's doing that. And I just, that it sits in my head because it was almost like her permission to go, you don't have to keep doing this. Yeah. Because when Rachel died, Deb and I both didn't want to do the podcast anymore, which is crazy because we were like, how do we do it about Rachel? But she told us we needed to do it. We need to do this conversation. And I'm so glad she did. But, you know, I, it feels like, it was easier to create a boundary because it was the ending of something. Yeah. So the ending of the podcast, and I think the moment for me, I was really happy to like do certain bits of press around Deb's death and stuff because I wanted to get the Bow Babe Fund out there and I know what she wanted us to do. She was really clear about that. But there was a lot of things I said no to because it felt very grief baity and it felt very click baity. And and it's like, is this going to benefit Deb the family, the fund in any way, or is this just to get clicks? And it's like, well, then I'm not doing it. And then as we're moving further away from like Deb's death, you know, there have been over Christmas where people are interviewing me about stuff that I'm doing, but then they're a lot of the questions that they sent through are all about Deborah. And I'm like, I'm not doing this. Like, this isn't fair. If you want to interview me about Deborah, I will do an interview with you about Deborah, but you're, it's very painful what you're doing. Mm. um so that kind of where I had like that emotional clarity because of the medication and and all the healing it was like I'm able to go no I'm not doing that like that's too much I haven't processed it myself I'm not ready to talk about it 
And then there was a podcast I recorded before Christmas. And I remember I was really looking forward to recording it. And I'm not going to name who it is because I love them. But um, I went in and I thought we were going to have this really funny conversation. Obviously, there'll be cancer in it because it always is. But I was really excited. And literally, it was just the same questions what did it feel like? What was this like? Did I, mm. And I just felt like a robot. And that, and I, it just was all coming out. I was like, I'm, n- I'm not doing this anymore. And I left and I said to my manager, Jamie, who's the best, I went, I'm never doing a podcast like that again. I went, we need to make sure that's not what these podcasts are mm-hmm. moving forward. And, you know, if people don't want to hear from me anymore because I'm not talking about Cancer Gem, I don't mind. I've got a lot going on in my world and I'm, I'm, I'm excited for my future and I'm not going to be held to that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's how the boundaries have come about. It's, it's been one little seed of going, mm, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And now it's like grown into this whole fe- wooden fence where it's like, you will not pass. Gandalf style. Like, you cannot compass this <laughs> yeah. boundary I have set. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's, I'm really glad for you. So, so Thanks, pleased mate. for you. Like, I mean, you absolutely deserve to be able to move on in whichever way you see fit, quite frankly. But I think it's also such a valuable conversation in itself. And I'm grateful that you've come on to talk about it because I think it's, whether or not it is a cancer experience there will be so many people who will be able to relate to kind of having had a traumatic experience happen to them or have you know gone through a diagnosis or or there's lots and lots of different Mm. things it could apply to but kind of finding your like identity again after that I think is something that so many people will be able to relate to so I think even you talking about this obviously we've mentioned cancer because it's relevant to this mm. conversation yeah but absolutely I think, I think this in and of itself will be something that's really helpful to people so thank you for talking to us no absolutely and, and helpful to me as well babe because you know I always feel like talking is catharsis do you know what I mean that's mm. why I do what I do but it's um it's really nice because it makes me realize how far I've come as well and you know, it's actually Kate, not a name drop. You don't have got, you haven't got to get like a dustpan and brush to keep <laughs> up the names here. But um, it was actually Katie Piper. Me and I had a really good conversation once, and she made such a difference to me because she said to me, you know, she went, "You're trying to show that there is a life with and beyond the disease, but you're still not showing there's life with and beyond the disease because you're mm. still doing it." She went, "If you want to show that, you have to move forward." Because the thing is, even if you are living with a stage four cancer diagnosis, you're not a cancer patient twenty four seven. You know, yeah. you still have your bits of your life, and I think you know that's what Deb was always an advocate for. It's what I'm an advocate for, and I look at Katie as as a bit of a role model in that respect. Is I don't look at Katie and think, "Oh, acid burns, domestic violence." And the, like, she has her own charity. She does that, but she's a loose woman. She's an author. She's a Pantene ambassador for her gorgeous hair. She's like, she is her own person. And that has take, taken a lot for her mm. to get there and a lot of boundary setting. So when I look at people like Katie, I know it's possible to move beyond. And it gives me the energy to like keep going. No, you're doing the right thing. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Every week, my guest and I will be answering your questions. And the first one comes in from Sarah, who says, how were you able to create and hold space for yourself during the time that you were unwell while you were creating and managing charity work? Hmm. It was difficult. Hmm. But I think what I always managed to do was prioritise what I knew would give me space and joy. So for me, that it was really around my family. Mm. Um, I appreciate not everyone's situation is like that, but um, I would, whenever I felt overwhelmed or like I just needed lots of time, it would always be, I'd go to my sister and play with the children and hang out with the kids. Cause when you're with kids, you can't think of anything else other mm-hmm. than them. They're just such a light and like going for walks and like, it's very, it was very pandemic of me way back in 2016 when it all happened, <laughs> but walks, like I just found that when I have friends come and visit me and stuff, rather than being stuck at home, even if I was feeling weak, I was like, can we just go for a walk around the park? Even if it was slow and if we just sat on a bench, it was like getting outside, outside of those four walls, um and just doing the little things that I know would make me happy and make me capable you know there was a couple of things um my friends had like big birthdays and stuff while I was sick and you know one of them was to go to like this farmhouse in the Cotswolds will everyone be aware familiar with that Mm. everyone goes to um and she'd like it was a big 30th and we'd rented out the cottages and stuff and I was really quite sick I'd started my second chemo drug but I was like I really want to go I can't it would be worse for my mental health yeah if I'm not there so we just found a way around it we made sure we knew where the hospital was we made sure we knew that the premises knew that I was poorly the girls came and picked me up when I was tired they took me back to my room they checked in on me like we made it work and I think you know creating space to be myself was so important rather than just hiding away from the world um, but for me, it was, it's always the basics. It always comes down to getting outside and um, being with people that I love and that make me feel safe. Yeah. I mean, that to me as well, it kind of sounds like as much as we're talking about like creating space for yourself, that to me sounds kind of about asking for space as well and kind of mm-hmm. not I think I think there's a lot of people and I I think I would probably struggle not to kind of be like oh well I can't I feel like I can't do that and I don't want to mm. I don't I don't want to kind of just dis- disrupt anything sort of thing and would be like well I'll just I'll just be on my own and like not have to put it on anyone and actually like as you say the way that you could kind of make space for yourself is by saying I I want to do this but actually these are the things that I need in order to be able to do that and like it's it's mm. it's so nice that your friends would you know straight on board and be able to be like yeah absolutely that's fine like these are the accommodations that you need let's yeah. do it kind of thing I think that's a really nice message yeah sometimes it's doable sometimes it's not but like but also as well it is having those boundaries like honestly when you get diagnosed with cancer you never get asked out for coffee as much as you ever will in your life. And it's never the people that you're mates with because mm. your mates are your mates and they're there. It's people that pop out the woodwork on Facebook that you haven't seen since school going, oh my God, could we go for a coffee? It's so grief grabby. So I think as well, mm. like you're, no one's entitled to a piece of you. Like when, if you need to create space and stuff, like don't fill up your days with people because all of a sudden you're the most popular person ever and everyone wants to see you. Like just like you would with advice to anyone in life anyway, just, focus on the people that matter and that yeah. are close to you and that are safe and uh, give energy back to you. That's the people. Just everyone else. You don't, because they say, can we go for a coffee? You don't have to say yes. 
saying, yeah. no, sorry, I'm not feeling up to it. Yeah, that's <laughs> totally felt. Makes, Bye, makes Sharon. Sense. Don't want to see you. <laughs> sorry, Sharon. Sorry to everyone called Sharon. Who might sorry, be every, all the Sharons. <laughs> there was just someone at my school called Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Right, okay. Okay, slightly different question from Emily, who says, my mum had cancer in the past and she's always been really open to me about it. I have, however, always felt like I couldn't be totally honest with her regarding my feelings. I was always wondering if it was selfish of me to burden her with my worries about her cancer. For example, what if it comes back? What if I inherited it? So essentially, my question is, what's the most sensible thing to do? Express my worries or keep them to me to not unnecessarily have her deal with more than she has to? That's a really great question. And I think it's a really fair thing. As someone, I'm going to come from the perspective here as the person who's had cancer. Mm -hmm. And obviously with my family, I think every single thing you're feeling is valid and everything you're worrying about is valid. Do I think your mum is the person best placed to answer those things? No. Mm -hmm. Because if you're saying to mum, what if it comes back? Trust me when I say your mum is probably worrying about that all the time. You do as a as someone who's had cancer. So for you to say that is is, is going to like knee jerk her back into that motion. I think the best thing you could maybe do is if you know who her doctors or oncologists are, if you could speak to someone who works in, in that field. If you're worried about um, it being genetic, um, and hereditary again I'd go and speak to your GP there are so many blood tests you can get done I'm not sure what cancer your mother had but if it's like breast cancer and stuff you can get the BRCA gene test you can do all that without having to you know you might just mention it to your mum go look I know that you had like your cancer was BRCA I'm just gonna get checked yeah um just so I know um keep her aware of it but it just you know you can you can go off and do that of your own accord mm. um and I think what would be really helpful you, darling, I don't know if you're already doing it, but I think going to speak to someone, I think a bit of therapy, a bit of talking therapy, a bit of CBT would be really good for you um, because it sounds like you're carrying a lot of worry and trauma. And, you know, when someone gets diagnosed with cancer, we I always use the analogy of a, of a pebble or a rock like dropping into water and it's the ripple effect. So mm. the drop happens to you, you're bang in the middle as the cancer patient, but the people who get the biggest ripple are those the closest to you, your brothers, your sisters, your mum, your dad, like your, your partner, yeah. your kids, they're the people. So they need support too. And that's okay for you to go and get help for your experience of cancer. You never feel guilty about that. It, yes, it was your mum that had the cancer, but you went through it as well. Um, but I think it's really important that you, it's probably not best for you to lean on although it's your mum and it's a very different dynamic now because you can always normally lean on your parents yeah. to make it better I think in this case going and taking care of yourself because your mum's probably been strong for you mm -hmm. and you know it would be nice to be able to lean on each other when you're in a better headspace so that's what I definitely think I think you know be practical where you can be in terms of your fear of recurrent stuff and 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 the gene testing stuff go to the doctors mm -hmm. And then in terms of your worries and, and mental health, I think definitely go and get some psych psychological support um, and it will help you to process things. And it will be things you probably would never even be able to say to your mum that you can speak freely about. It would be a better option. I think that's wonderful advice. Thank you so much for that. Last question I will ask you is from Tamara, who says, 
Sometimes I feel like I'll never move on from my trauma and I'll always feel guilty about how I reacted to it and those wasted years. I get triggered really easily. Do you have any advice? Hmm. Okay, first thing is I feel I'm hearing a lot of shame and blame on yourself there. I feel like, again, there is a lot of healing and that and acceptance that needs to come from how you react to trauma. We've all done things we're not proud of, and we've all done things that we're gonna. Would, I would have done that differently. Mm-hmm. I hold my. Of course, I have. Of course, I have. However, you need to be able to understand that your reason for behaving the way that you did was a, a result of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. How, one thing you do have control of is whether that becomes a pattern or not. And if you know that you're triggered or you know that you have a tendency to behave in certain ways when you're triggered, again, it's really important that you go and get the support that you need. Mm. If it's PTSD, whatever it is, you need to go and see a, a medical professional. You need to go and see a psychologist or a psychiatric assessment and see what help you can get. Because, you know, I said it again, this, you can't be doing this by yourself. This sounds like this is still very present in your past trauma. It sounds like you're still very much living in it. And it sounds a little bit cyclical. You need to break that cycle, but it's going to take some healing and it's going to take some work. Um, you will be free of it. Um, not all day, every day, but you'll be able to handle it a lot better. Mm. And I think if you don't break the cycles and patterns of behaviours and tri- that come from the triggers you're not going to be able to move past the triggers themselves. So again, I just think, you know, it takes a lot to go and ask for help, but it's really important. Like the healing process, you don't do alone. So yeah, I'd really, really advise going and get some support there. But And also just be a bit kinder to yourself. Like trauma is trauma and we all react in different ways. And like, you know, we always say hurt people, hurt people. There's all these things, but it's your responsibility to, to change that. So yeah first of all just be a bit kinder to yourself what's done is done you can't change it can't fix it but you can change what happens next so that would be my advice there yeah I think I agree and would definitely echo that as well like I'm coming at it from a different perspective but into thinking about like the mental health history of myself personally like thinking there's oh there's so many things like when I look back at the years that I was like so depressed and the way that I dealt with it at the time and the things that I didn't do to deal with it mm. that now it's mm. it's so easy to look back and be like I can't believe like I behaved in that way I can't mm-hmm. believe I didn't do that sooner and to kind of yeah I, I get the sentiment of being like I wasted so much time like it's it's so annoying to feel like you have done but actually also if you hadn't behaved in that way at the time or like if it hadn't mm. gone that way you wouldn't have the perspective that you mm. have now so I think trying to be like well yeah, I wouldn't feel like this now mm. had I not felt like this that then, if you know what I mean, yeah. in a very convoluted way. But also it's like, it's like I was like, like the arrow. I love an analogy, guys, so bear with me. But it's like, you know, you've got an arrow and you pull it back in the bow. Yeah. I feel like when you're constantly looking back, you're held in that position. You're held mm. in that back, the arm pulled back and at that tense point where it's really tense and you're holding everything in. You can't move forward because you're constantly looking back. I think, it's good to look back if you can learn. By the way, if you can hear the beep and the squeaking, that is the dog's donut toy. He's decided to come up and join us for the Q&A. But yeah, it's, it's that thing of, it's. I think looking back is really good 
in terms of learnings and reflections and going, mm, what did I learn from that? Like, and taking nuggets. But I think if you live in it and keep going, oh, God, that happened, that happened. That was like how long ago? Yeah. That's done. That is so far away from what's now. And if you do that, you're not giving yourself any justice in this world. You're not like living to your full potential. I think that what's done is done. Some work around acceptance and, you know, you know, you just said like it's not time wasted, but what is time wasted is you constantly looking back. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. that's the time wasted, not what you did. The time wasted is the time you're wasting now worrying, like get busy just right how do I move forward from this how do I push through and I think that is that's where you'll find more control and you'll probably feel a little bit lighter from it all hopefully anyway I hope so if you want to know about opportunities to send in questions for upcoming guests then follow us on Instagram or Twitter at goodinfluencegs or you can email the podcast at goodinfluencepod at gmail.com Before you go, I've got three things I ask every guest. And so could you please recommend us something to read, something to listen to and something to watch? Yes. So something to read. I had to run and get from my bookshelf from Jem, but Jem can attest to the fact that it is very well read and it's still covered in sand. Um, But it's something that I go back to again and again. And the book's called Outrageous Openness and it's by Tosha Silver. Now, for me, as someone who's gone through trauma, sometimes you feel like there's a complete lack of control. Mm. And, you know, so you spend probably a lot of your time, I know I did, busying myself and trying to kind of create this world and a narrative that I knew things were going to happen because the unknown scared me so much. Mm. Um, And I got recommended this book by Tosha Silver, um, Outrageous Openness, and it's all about trusting the divine and divine timing and the way of the world it's it's basically a book about surrender Mm. and if there's something that's bothering you or there's worries that are bothering you it's how to talk about it in your head so that you are able just to give it over to the divine it's not you know you hear a lot about manifesting but actually this is kind of more saying you know prime example last year I was um and ah about leaving my management I knew I wasn't quite happy with the way things were going. It's a big decision. I was scared. I didn't know what to do next. And I got this little box. She told you to do it in the book. And I just wrote a little note in it. And I said um, something like, if it was divine will, um, the solution to the problem, like the solution to my worries with my agency and my future in my career will show itself for the greater good of all um Mm. and at the perfect time and I dated it and I folded it up and I put it in the box and that was in January and now I'm in January this year and I've moved agencies and things are going really well Mm. I'm not saying it's not manifestation but I think it's kind of going trusting the process is what it's about yeah and it's it's kind of saying okay this is my worry or this is what I want to work towards and I don't really know how that's going to happen but actually when you just trust that you're working towards something and what is meant for you is going to happen. Yeah. It makes life a lot lighter. So, cause I just found that I would have such a rigid view of this is what I want for my life and this is how it's going to happen. And this is the way it's going to happen. And then I would force myself down paths that weren't for me only to then have to do a U-turn and come back and go down the one that I could probably should have gone down because yeah. it felt right. So this book, Outrageous Openness for me, I just come back to again and again. And it just, it just makes me feel like everything's going to be okay chill out, hand over to a greater good. You know, some people are religious, some people aren't. I'm not religious. I'm quite spiritual, but I just like, do you know what? As long as I'm living my life with integrity and intention and with kindness, things will happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So I absolutely recommend 
Outrageous Openness by Tosha Silver. Um, it's a really nice read, a really, really nice read. I think it puts you in a really nice mindset. Oh, lovely. That sounds like a great recommendation. Thank you. Babes, I will I will order one to your home. You need this. <laughs> it's so good. So good. Thank you. Okay, so then we've got listening and watching left today. Listening and watching. I'm going to do listening, you, me, and the big C. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the podcast because... I think when we first started, you mean the big C, everybody just assumed it's a podcast about cancer. It's going to be all doom and gloom. And what I love about it and something I'm really proud of is it's evergreen in that it doesn't matter how long ago those pieces were recorded. There's some that are like treatment specific around certain new therapies. But other than that, the feelings and the emotions and the advice all stand the test of time. Mm. And I think no matter what stage you come to cancer, if you come to cancer, whether it's you, whether it's a loved one, there is something there to support you mm. and you're not alone. And I think it it is just like a little best pal in your back pocket that you can just refer to again and again. And also, if you're someone who hasn't had cancer, I think, or but has been through trauma, I think there'll be a lot of things you can take from it as well. So if you haven't listened to you, me in the big C on BBC Five Live, please do get it. You can get it on five, um, BBC Sounds and anywhere you get your podcast. But mm-hmm. I do think it is a great resource. We actually had um, a listener send us a, a picture of a sheet of paper from coming out of her like um, appointments for cancer treatment and actually written on there is like a prescription was like, listen to you, me in the big C. So, oh, wow. yeah. What a legacy for the podcast now that's over to think that that's, you know, something that can be so recommended, like literally even by medical professionals for that sort of community yeah. feeling. That's amazing, Lauren. Yeah. So, yeah, I would recommend you listen to that if you haven't yet. What have we not done? I've forgotten already. Watching. Oh, watch. Yes, We've got to watch. Do you know what? To watch, what have I really been enjoying recently? I would recommend watching... I something I watched recently and I absolutely loved is Bad Sisters. Oh, that's on my list to watch. I keep seeing people talk. In fact, maybe it was you who I saw talking about. Yeah, probably me. Bad Sisters is amazing. It's about a group of Irish sisters and a really, really horrible husband. And that's all I'm going to say. And it's dark comedy, which is very much me. Yeah, so much. But it's brilliant, brilliantly written. And I think it's something that's easy to watch that you'll buy into. You know, it's not that deep in terms of like, but there's some really cool takeaways. It's like family, love, relationships, everything. But it's really funny. And I think it's a really good watch and I think you'd enjoy it. So I'll say Bad Sisters just for that reason, because it's great. Thank you for listening and thank you, Lauren, for joining me. A reminder, there are links to support available in the show notes if you feel you need them after that conversation. If you enjoyed the episode, I would love you to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you're using. And if you're feeling generous, you can rate us and leave a review as well. See you next week. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view. An endless field of wildflowers. Or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always dive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.